The Central Epidemic Command Center reported 30 local and three imported cases on Thursday. With the Level 3 alert possibly to expire on July 26th, the public wants to know what will happen next week. Health Minister Chen Shizong said the government may allow the reopening of some businesses, like licensed spa centers, starting next week. But he said adult entertainment facilities like karaoke parlors and saunas may need to wait longer. Today we have 30 local cases, 20 detected during isolation. We also have three imported cases. After two days of just over a dozen local cases, Taiwan's daily case count jumped to 30 on Thursday. The health minister was asked if this would change plans to downgrade the Level 3 alert next week. We are working hard in the direction of lowering the COVID alert. We have almost finalized the relevant guidelines. We have yet to see a significant rise in cases with an unknown infection source. So the direction we're moving in remains the same. Of the 30 new local cases, 24 can be traced back to a known infection source. The health minister said that plans will continue to lower the Level 3 alert. But he said the government needs more time to finalize its reopening guidelines, which were originally to be released by Friday. The relevant guidelines for reopening remain under discussion. The eight major adult entertainment businesses can expect to wait longer for the reopening. Any downgrade of the COVID alert will need to be gradual. With the epidemic easing, the executive yuan is considering lowering level three, although it's emphasized that some businesses will not be allowed to reopen right away. For instance, licensed spa and massage centers may get the green light first, while adult entertainment facilities will have to wait. Even after the alert is lowered, hand washing, mask wearing, and social distancing will still be required. The government says that vaccines will be key to a full reopening. So far, more than 24 percent of the population has received at least one dose, putting Taiwan well on track to hit the goal of 25 percent by the end of the month. Also on Thursday, Chen spoke about why Taiwan was delaying second Moderna doses beyond 28 days. Our first three priority groups can still get the second dose within four weeks of the first, but all other Moderna vaccine recipients will need to wait 10 to 12 weeks between doses. This change is based on studies that have shown one dose of Moderna can achieve 81% protection. The CECC said the policy is designed to boost one-dose vaccine coverage as quickly as possible. It said that depending on the epidemic's development and the vaccine supply, it will adjust its policy on a rolling basis. Taiwan has ordered another 36 million doses of the Moderna COVID vaccine to be delivered over two years. Let's go now to the Central Epidemic Command Center. We'll receive 20 million doses next year and another 15 million doses the following year. We have an open purchase contract for 5 million doses, and 1 million of that will be delivered by the fourth quarter of this year. The latest order comes on top of 19.81 million COVID vaccines already ordered. In addition, there are 5.87 million doses donated by foreign countries and 15 million doses of Pfizer donated by private organizations. Taiwan has also placed orders for 10 million doses of domestically produced vaccines. Altogether, that's more than 86 million doses of COVID vaccines in the pipeline, more than enough to vaccinate the population.
The epidemic is slowing and a major international event has been scheduled in Taiwan for the start of next year. The US-based Halifax International Security Forum, a prominent global security think tank, says it will hold a conference in Taipei in late January. It will be the think tank's first major event in Asia and it's set to draw some 300 politicians from the world's democratic nations. The Washington-based Halifax International Security Forum is coming to Taipei. It will be held January 21st to 23rd of next year. This will be the first time it will hold a major meeting anywhere in Asia, and it's chosen Taiwan, where it will present an award to President Tsai Ing-wen. Tsai Ing-wen is now arguably the most powerful female politician in the Chinese-speaking world. This May, the Halifax International Security Forum announced that President Tsai had won the 2020 John McCain Prize for Leadership in Public Service. Prior to that, there were reports that the Canadian government had feared angering China and had pressured the group not to choose Tsai for the award. But the Canadian House of Commons passed a motion affirming Tsai as the ideal candidate. Not only will the prize go to Tsai, the whole forum will be coming to Taipei. Established in 2011, the Halifax International Security Forum is headquartered in Washington, D.C. and is an independent, non-profit and non-partisan organization. It holds a security summit in Canada every November, bringing together global democracies to discuss security issues and strengthen strategic cooperation. It's considered to be one of the world's leading defense and security forums. Next January's Taipei conference will be held in partnership with Taiwan's National Defense Security Research Institute. It will be the forum's first major Asia event. The forum's president said the event would celebrate the courage and achievements of one of Asia's most vibrant democracies. He said that all people who value democracy will recognize the importance of showing solidarity with Taiwan at this time. This international security forum is taking real action to support democratic Taiwan. It's taking real action to remind the free world the importance of helping, supporting and protecting Taiwan, which is on the front line of democracy. Scholar Shen Rongqin said that the forum's annual security summit usually draws more than 300 participants from more than 80 democracies around the world. He expects that same number of people to fly in next year for the Taipei conference. The guest list of this international security event could include U.S. and Canadian congressmen, as well as former presidents and former prime ministers. Canadian media points out that this Taipei conference will take place just weeks before the Beijing Winter Olympics and will draw widespread media attention. President Tsai's award is likely to rile Beijing and will represent a major victory of Taiwan diplomacy. Higher summer power rates will not come into effect for most residential users in July, the cabinet announced Thursday. As a COVID relief measure, officials have extended their summer rate suspension for a month through to the end of July. However, the relief does not apply to users of more than 1,000 kilowatt hours a month who will still be charged at the higher rates. 
For business owners, electricity is an inevitable expense. With business still reeling from the outbreak in May, lawmakers have called for a freeze on power rates and oil prices to ease financial burdens. Refrigerator, air conditioning, oven, they consume electricity and business has gotten worse, so we have to adjust our use based on the circumstances. There are subsidies that help out a little. For us, it provides a bit of relief. This breakfast shop runs a bill of 5,000 to 6,000 NT every month in off-peak periods. That can triple in the summertime, exceeding 10,000 NT. It's a hard burden to carry in a pandemic. The Ministry of Economic Affairs proposed a July suspension today for residential users. That is, residential users who use up to 1,000 kilowatt hours will continue to be charged non-summer rates. Summer rates will not apply to them. However, users who consume more than 1,000 kilowatt hours a month will be charged summer rates. The executive yuan spokesman announced that summer rates will be suspended in July as they were in June. But residential users who consume more than 10,000 kilowatt hours a month will be charged summer rates. In related news, food and drink vendors are gearing up for a possible downgrade of the level 3 COVID alert after July 26. A return to level 2 could mean a return to dining in at restaurants nationwide. Of course we're hoping to open up if the epidemic is under control, but we also worry that after reopening there might be a second wave, an even more serious epidemic. But we do want to reopen soon for dining in. With regard to this issue, we will sort out all the details in a package of guidelines and decide on whether to lower the alert. All of that information will be announced together by the Central Epidemic Command Center. Regarding the announcement, the executive yuan spokesman deferred to the Central Epidemic Command Center. In the meantime, vendors are rushing to prepare for a potential reopening. Friendly assistance between Taiwan and Japan continues. This time, a Taiwanese dentist has organized a donation of 200,000 face masks to Japan. The scheme was inspired by the recent donations of vaccines from Japan that have invigorated Taiwan's vaccine drive. The masks will be shared between Tokyo, where the Olympics are a major COVID concern, and Minami Soma, a city in Fukushima prefecture that recently suffered a serious outbreak of the virus. Japan has donated three batches of AstraZeneca vaccines to Taiwan. That prompted Pan Yumin to organize this charity drive to donate masks as a thank you. The 200,000 masks will help protect athletes and locals during the Tokyo Olympics. This is about saving lives. That's something we doctors thoroughly understand. So back then, some people put an advert in the Japanese newspapers thanking Japan. But an advert is only good for two or three days. I think, couldn't we do something more practical? When it first began, Dr. Pan Yuming contacted us and asked what would be the best way to express gratitude. Well, the simplest, fastest and best method is made in Taiwan masks. The Taiwan Dental Association, as well as the Dental School Alumni Associations of seven of Taiwan's top universities all chipped in. Pan also got help from his university classmate, Dr. Sei Hirochi, now working in Japan. On July 19th, the masks arrived. 
100,000 for Tokyo and 100,000 for Minamisoma, which has recently suffered a worrying outbreak. The design on the mask was designed by Dr. Ling Qianru. Mount Fuji represents Japan and the Formosan black bear. It says thank you and expresses Taiwan-Japan friendship. I contacted the mayor of Minamisoma and they were extremely happy and surprised to be suddenly sent a shipment of masks. Dr. Hirochi has been working in Japan for the last 42 years, but was happy to support the scheme as a top priority. As COVID continues to spread back and forth across the world, we'll all need to pull together. Vivi Lin, an activist for menstrual equity, has become the first Taiwanese recipient of the prestigious Diana Award. The accolade, which was established in the UK in memory of the late Princess Diana, recognizes young people from around the world for achievements in social and humanitarian action. Lin says she's humbled and honored by the prize. She said that on her application form, she made sure to identify her country as Taiwan. Let's hear from her. I wanted us to be able to write Taiwan on the form because everyone in my team comes from our beloved country, Taiwan. Also, of all the projects we're working on, most of them are based in Taiwan. Now that we have this award, we will continue doing what we're doing, but even better. We want to continue making an impact in places around the world, including Taiwan. Places where there is still period poverty, a lack of education on menstruation, or where periods are still stigmatized. The 22-year-old is the founder of the non-profit organization Little Red Hood. The group tackles issues like menstrual stigma and period poverty, which is the lack of access to sanitary products and hygiene education. On the Diana Awards official webpage, Lynn says she began to advocate for menstrual equity due to experiencing painful periods throughout her life and to being diagnosed with an ovarian tumor when she was just 17 years old. Lynn also found fame last year with her video message to WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus in response to his allegations of Taiwanese prejudice. A new tabletop game educates players about fire safety as they amuse themselves. New Taipei Fire Department produced the game to help the public get educated on the latest tips for managing fires. But with its fun quiz questions and entertaining cartoons, this is one game you'll want to play again and again. A fire is a volatile situation. Small errors can mean the difference between life and death. Now, New Taipei Fire Department has produced a tabletop game to educate the public about fire in a fun and memorable way. Here in the Fire Department conference room, games are an unusual sight. Each card offers a scenario that players have to decode and solve. How about this one? Which of these objects is useless in a fire? A fire extinguisher, a wet towel, a fire alarm, a fire door. We ask these pedestrians on the street. Ideas once taken as good practice might now be outdated as new research and strategies emerge. Something you learned as a child might not be as accurate as you think. That's why the fun revelations from this game are so important. 
it explains in detail what to do if you encounter a fire. Through this game, we want to make learning fun and get everyone talking about fire scenarios. Tabletop games are a great way to enjoy time with friends. Next time you sit down for a game, why not think of the fire department and get a little safety training for free along with your amusement? Typhoon Infa brought torrential rains to northern Taiwan on Thursday as it drew closer. The storm's periphery dumped more than 200 millimeters of rain over Shinzhou and Miaoli counties within 24 hours. The storm is currently located east-southeast of Taipei. If it continues on its current path, its periphery will skirt the edge of northern Taiwan on Friday and Saturday, bringing heavy to extremely heavy rains across the upper half of the island. Let's head now to Miaoli for an update on the jujube harvest. Shichang village in Gongguan Township is the only place in Taiwan where jujubes are grown. And the farmer has some very special methods. Not only does he use organic farming methods to protect his trees from pests, he also mixes up his own organic fertilizer using soy milk. And inspired by his Buddhist faith, he plays the plants soothing chants while they grow. Two years ago, this devout Buddhist farmer landed on a new technique, nourishing his jujube trees with Buddhist chanting. He wants to give them all the TLC they need to grow strong and beautiful. Apart from listening to the names of the Buddhas, the jujubes also get fed with soy milk. First, the farmer soaks and grinds the beans, then adds molasses and probiotics and leaves the drink to ferment for 10 days. This high-grade fertilizer helps the fruit trees grow and protects them through drought. It even wards off pests. All our farmers put their heart into their work. Some fertilizers are based on soybeans, others use dairy milk. It depends on the stage of growth. In the early stages, you generally use soybeans because they contain more nitrogen. In the later stages, they normally use dairy milk, which boosts calcium and contains other trace elements. These are all extremely healthy farming methods. The farmer also practices sod culture. Grass grows freely between trees in the orchard. He plants Mexican mint to keep insects away from the jujube trees. According to Gongguan Farmers Association, the local jujube harvest will be 720 metric tons this year, almost 50% more than usual. But prices have stayed stable at 180 NT per cati. This farmer is looking forward to a happy harvest.